do in the winter. Hello and welcome to the 17th of these podcasts from the Isles of Mull, Iona, Ulva and Gometra. I'm Alistair Satchel, I live outside of Dervig in the north of Mull, and I'll be your host today. In this episode, I talk with Pat Morrison of Penmore, outside of Dervig. Pat and I spoke in her home at Penmore Mill at the end of last October. Originally from Ayrshire, Pat came to Mull as an itinerant art teacher. It's the first properly wintry day of 2019. The sun is so bright and the sky is perfectly blue with the odd wee cloud heading off out the Atlantic. I love this season. Our chat covers all sorts of topics, from the poetry of Robert Burns, to student life in Edinburgh in the 1960s, Turismara, the family company which takes you on trips to Staff and Treshnish Isles from Ulva Ferry, the travails of running a fish hatchery from your own home, and reminiscence about a dearly missed friend. If you're curious about any of the subjects we talk about, please feel free to visit our website at whatwedointhewinter.com to find links that will allow you to investigate further. As Pat is one of my dearest friends, we occasionally talk in shorthand, and at one point you'll hear reference to a story about a tin boat which we don't expand on. I'll come back to that at the end of the episode with a touch more info. Also, you can hear my dog Merrin pawing at me for attention at one point in the podcast, and after a while she asked to go and sit in the car. It is at this point in the podcast that I say the word arse. I apologise if it causes any offence, but it's one of my favourite words. Arse. Before I hand you over to Pat, if you have time and are so inclined, I'm running a short online survey that I'll keep up until the first week of February to find out how you engage with what we do in the winter. You can find a link to it in the text along with this podcast file or on our website or social media. I'm looking to build more of an audience for the podcast and I'd like to know how you interact with it at present to allow me to understand how to grow it. Thank you to those of you who have already filled it out. There was a a brief moment at the start of this project. I was really worried I was making the audio equivalent of the people's friend, but I'm happy to say that it seems to be otherwise. One last thing. The first few minutes of the recording are awfully hissy sounding. This is because I'm such a professional that I forgot to switch Pat's recorder on for about three minutes. Yeah, sorry. It evens out after that. That's enough from me. I'll be back at the end. Over now to Pat Morrison. Who are you? Oh, well, my name is Pat Morrison. I started out my life as Patricia Ann Barclay. I've been Pat Morrison for 47 years, nearly. So I don't know how much I'll remember about being Pat Barclay, but... That's, that's where it all started. Fantastic. Born in Kilwinning in Ayrshire. And Kilwinning, were you born in the local hospital? Or? Uh, it, was a, it was a maternity hospital which doesn't exist anymore. But, uh, it was called Buckredon, I think. Yeah. And the family themselves, the Barclays, were in uh, Kilwinning or were they in...? No, 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 no. That, I don't know why I had to go to Kilwinning. No. Uh, we lived in a little uh, small holding, oh, two or three miles out of Prestwick and Ayr at that time, uh, which had no electricity and uh, was fairly basic, I think. And um, we moved from there when I was two and a half, so I don't remember anything about it, except we used to go back and visit the neighbours who lived in the farm at the bottom of the hill. Uh, but that was a long time ago. And does that mean that, presumably, your dad was employed in the land there, or was he...? No, I quite know what he was doing. <laughs> My father, in all the time that I knew, was employed by the National Coal Board. All right, okay. As a gardener. And this is a very peculiar sort of socialist slant on things. Yeah. Because uh, he, he was definitely, you know, a Labour man. Yes. But he worked for the high hygienists in the National Coal Board. They, they provided the managers and the folk hanging on the scale with a gardener to do the gardens in their fancy houses. Very nice. That's... (laughs) Things have changed. Absolutely. (laughs) And it didn't seem to bother. He used to go off to work before we were up for school in the morning. Oh, gosh. And he would finish, oh, sort of quite early in the afternoon. Right. And uh, then I think he did a few homers to get pound notes, which was what took us on our holidays and you know oh, yeah it was I always thought it wasn't all that exciting my life I thought we had quite a boring childhood but in actual fact it was 
You said holidays. I mean, where where did you get to well, go on holiday? It's what my mother called a day here and there. Ah, lovely. So it was always within driving distance, and usually get back the same day. So up the Clyde, down the coast, or? Aye, and but you know, I th- we had a few where we maybe stayed. Um, I remember staying B and B. In fact, we went camping once, and my folks had never been camping, and they hadn't a clue what to do. We were in an old army tent, myself and my sister, and. It was actually black as night in that tent. And my folks, they couldn't, they didn't know that you really had to roll yourself. You didn't make up the bed like, you know, because then they got all the drafts. So they ended up sleeping in the car. And the folk that we were with, people called the McGuffies, slept in their van. Oh, for goodness sake. And <laughs> Jimmy McGuffey says, oh, the sleep's gone off you by the time you get organised. Anyway, then it came down bucketing. And we, for the first time ever, we had a B&B in, um, oh, Kinloch Leaven, I think it was. And I can remember yet the white crisp sheets, you know. Oh, yeah, so, you know, we didn't have holidays away. It was wherever you could drive to and be back home in a day. But that was fine. That was fine. That's great. And in the family, there's yourself, there's your sister and... And a brother, an older brother. Yeah. What did they end up doing? What's the... Well, my brother, he trained, you know, Presswick Airport. He oh, right. it was with uh, well, it was Scottish Airlines, I think, at the time. it was. He trained as a um, flight engineer. Right. In Glasgow or No, in, or in Prestwick. In Prestwick, they had a, a place there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he was qualified, he went off south. And he worked for, I think it was, at that point, it was called de Havilland. Mm-hmm. And then it became Hawker Sidley. Oh, yeah. And then it became, oh, British Aerospace. And he worked down there all these years. And he was very good, because he was seven years older than me, so when I was at college, he was good for getting a wee, oh, cool. a wee tap now and again, you know. He was fine. And my sister, she trained as a PE teacher. All right. And she was seven years younger than me, so she went to Orkney and she was a flying drilly in Orkney. We flew around all the, you know, and we never forgave her for giving up the job before we had our second holiday in Orkney. Yeah. She went back to Prestwick and she's married there and a family there. Yeah. Um, my brother and his wife retired back to Ayrshire. They live in a little place called Maidens, which mm-hmm. is very beautiful. They, have, they don't have any family. Mm-hmm. They just had a duck. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's... My father was born in Girvan. Oh, yeah. Um, my mother was born in Dunlop. So how they ended up in Presswick, I've no idea, but... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you as well was particularly what we've talked about in the past, the notion of uh, the Scots language. And yeah. that was a, a very important thing for your father, is that Well, right? it was. I mean, he spoke broad Ayrshire. And my mother was always giving him a, a row, saying, you know, Jimmy, talk proper, you know, because she, she'd gone into service when she was 13, I think. And she had ideas above her station, I think. And um, I'm really sorry I didn't pay more attention to my father. Yeah. I mean, we always knew what he was saying, but we didn't really... Use that to the language yourselves? Yeah, not not much. Yeah, And now it's gone. Yeah, sad. Are there any kind of particular aspects of the language that you remember? And like, was he... I mean, obviously, the, the cliche is, is Burns, but yeah. um, did, was Burns quite an important thing? Well, it was to him, yeah. What do you think he identified with? Was it the, the, the fact that it was so important nationally and internationally and it was in his own Well, it was in his own dialect. lingo and the fact that, you know, Burns was a man of the people and he reckoned he was one of the people. Yeah. yeah. I suppose, yeah. And, you mean, in, his, in later life when he was uh, in his late 80s, you know, he had dementia had got him, but he could still <laughs> recite Tamashanta from start to finish, more or less. Crazy, crazy stuff. Well, the brain's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Were there any of Burns's poems in particular that you remember outside of Tam O'Shanter? Well, know? To a Mouse. Yes. To, to a Mouse, yeah. Aye. Yeah. Bill's yeah. the same. Bill uh-huh. absolutely loved it. He, he got an award as a kid for reading that poem in oh, school. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And he, he brings it up regularly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of my favourites is obviously um, Holy Wally's Prayer. But no, it was To a Mouse. 
Yeah. yeah. Why Holy Willie's, Willie's Prayer? Is it, uh, oh, it's just, uh, you know... It's, it captures something of, of real... Uh, it does, it does. Yeah. It's got so many people's character, not just the Scottish character, but so many people's character, that sort of duplicitous nature aye, of... Aye, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, I, it's one of my favourite burns as well, I must yeah. admit. So... Within uh, within the family, there's the, the core family group. There's the, your sister, your brother, your mum, and your mum was in service. You say, did oh yeah, she she um, well, she grew up in Dunlop, and she I think she went to service with a local minister. All right. Who was very good to her, I think, because he used to take her when they uh, went uh, to Edinburgh. To I mean, so she travelled more. She got to see the country. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, <laughs> Not that it's anywhere else in the family, but she actually liked housework. And she liked making things nice. And What's course, wrong with her? Yeah, I know. And of course, the people she worked for really valued that. Yes, of course. Uh, in fact, I know. I don't know who she was working for when she, when she got married, but I know the wifey wasn't pleased that she was going to be losing her, you know. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. As a child, so you talked about your sister um, working with PE uh, and education. Yeah. What were your passions as a child? Drawing. So what did you draw? What were the sort of things that got you? Oh, I can't. We figures. I used to make dressing dolls. You had a figure and you made, you know, designed your own dresses to put them on. And, oh, I don't know, I suppose you didn't, didn't have paints at home then. You only right. had coloured pencils. Right. And you had to spit on them to get any. Aye, yeah, you remember yeah. me? I'm really hard. Yeah. And I don't remember what I drew, but you know, just whatever came into my head at the time. Oh, fantastic. And that was, I suppose that was my, my big passion. Art as a passion as a child, that then le- leads you. What, how did school go? I was well, school was, I went to what was called Prestwick Public. Oh, very nice. Which was, aye, that's right. Um, <laughs> and can't remember that much about it. I mean, right. there were rows and rows of us and seats and all the rest. Um, and I didn't not enjoy it. I think it must have been okay. I don't remember worrying about it. Um, and then it was only when I went to secondary school that I realised that maybe I had some academic abilities. You know, I didn't think too much about it. I really, really enjoyed history. Oh, uh, we had a very, very, very good history teacher um, and that obviously helped. Yeah. And, and, you know, the art department and, and I really, really enjoyed chemistry. Didn't enjoy geography so much, but, you know. Uh, Do you remember the names of your history Some of them. I know, oh, heavens, um, Jean, Jeannie Drennan was one of the art teachers. Mm-hmm. And, oh, what was his name? The chemistry teacher. He was, uh, he has a special place in my heart because I told him, you know, I was going to be leaving school yeah. when I was 16, I think. Right, okay, gosh. And he said, why? And it was him who convinced me to stay on, you know? and oh, And do, you know, after, do... Uh, you know, all levels and hires yeah. as well, yeah. What were you going to, what would you have done if you'd left at 16? Uh, my mother wanted me to be a hairdresser. Right. And move around the corner, you know, aye. to the, the council house around the corner. And, aye. Uh, and, uh, a fine life in there? its own way, yeah, aye. aye, aye. Yeah. In fact, she had me, I think she had me booked down to one of the fancy hair salons that I was to go in. Right. In fact, that was probably before I was 16. Gosh. Anyway, times change, yeah. Oh, aye, definitely. <laughs> Merlin, you're just being an arse. <laughs> I love you, yeah, doggy. But yeah. Can you go and lie down, darling? Lie down, lie down. Go and lie down. Merrin, lie down. Right, I'm going to put her in the car. Can you give me a second? Sorry, I do apologise. Okay. So you stayed on, you did um, two more years, a year or two more years at school? I did two, when I was 16, mm-hmm. O-levels, but then if you were doing hires, you had, well, they didn't do them in Presswick High School at that time, okay. so you had to go to Air Academy, which was very posh. Oh, right. um, and I knew by then that I wanted to go to art school, uh, but we had had... Uh, 
you know, a, a trip, a school trip to go to the RSE, I think. Oh, really? And I can remember getting out of the bus at the mound oh, and thinking, oh, this is for me, you know. Yeah. So I don't think my mother ever forgave me because, I, well, I applied um, the entrance exams and, and all the stuff for Edinburgh and you got the results for Edinburgh before you had to apply to Glasgow. And once I knew that I'd got into Edinburgh, mm. I just conveniently forgot to apply to Glasgow. Because they would have wanted me to go to Glasgow and travel home every day, and that didn't seem like a good plan. So, Not at all, yeah, <laughs> I, that sense of freedom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I knew, um, I knew what I wanted to do, and if I could get enough hires in my fifth year, I wouldn't have to stay on to sixth year because I didn't like your academy very much. Okay. And I don't think it liked me either, so uh, that was fine. So I got, only needed three hires. Brilliant. And that's what I got in fifth year, and that was it. Hey-ho. Who had you met that um, had gone to art school before that? Had you met anyone? Well, only the, the folk who taught me, you know, um, oh, okay. like Jean Drennan, who was quite a young teacher. Archie Summers was the head of the art department in, in um, Prestwick, and uh, they were both very, very, very supportive you know so it's Edinburgh College of Art you went to yeah yeah and what was it uh, did, did you choose a specialism within anything or did you well you had to you, the first two years were sort of general so Finish. you did so you did you know all the um, you, you did a bit of everything and then I think in second year you had to specialize in a couple of things to see so I did stained glass oh, wow. and I discovered the tapestry department but we had to decide what we were going to do, the diploma, what was called a diploma then. Um, and if you were doing crafts, you had to do two. And none of the combinations worked for me, so I just did drawing and painting, which was, you know. But I spent all my spare time in the tapestry department. Fantastic. And I kind of regret now that I didn't just do that, you know. However, it was all fine. And there were good years. And... You know, I suppose everybody who was there was doing the same thing, yeah. and you didn't know what status socially anybody was. They were just really? all folk yeah. and pals, you know. And it's actually quite amazing. I found out later that <laughs> who some of them were, you know. Yeah. yeah. And the tutors at the time, there were there any tutors that particularly stood out at our college? Well, Archie Brennan, who did tapestry, who lives in New York now and is internationally renowned for his tapestry. He must be well in his 80s, so I don't know. And I know he had a stroke a few years ago, but he's obviously still there. And, um, well, Lizzie Blackadder was one of my tutors and and Johnny Houston, who are, uh, they all made it big names, but they were just nice folk, you know. And, And I can remember Johnny Houston especially was very encouraging, yeah. I know when Georgia was at um, college, she um, had to work and get a, a, a job, work several jobs, but yeah. <clears throat> it was really difficult because you, the hours you had to put in at the, at the, the, the paint face were yeah. kind of massive as well. So did you have any jobs when you were at college? Well, only summer jobs. Okay. Yeah. And did you go home for summer or did you stay in Edinburgh? Mostly we stayed in Edinburgh. Oh, I worked in, in William Fine's carton packing factory. Oh, there we go. Uh, which was out at Site Hill. All right, okay. Um, I used to do the Christmas Post, you know. Aye. And did that in Edinburgh a couple of years and back in Presswick a couple of years. Because uh, we got a really good grant. Yeah. Which, these were good times for folk like yeah. me, you know, came out of the working classes. Yeah. And I got a full grant because my father didn't earn very much. And I thought I had just... I was in Shangri-La, you know. Yeah. There was enough uh, paid for the accommodation. It was always broke by ah. the end of term, but, you know, yeah. you always That's made it through. Life. Aye, aye, aye. No, it was good. It was good. Awesome. And whereabouts in town did you live? Were you in the centre of town or were you...? Well, first year it was in a girls' hostel. I think there were about 20 of us in it. All right. And there, it was just buildings that was out in front of the art college, but they're not there now. They've okay. biffed it down and built new stuff. And yeah, that was good. That was where we, we, because I know I had wanted to go into a flat, but my mother wouldn't let me. Oh. 
because you know it was bad enough that I was going away. But she discovered that there was another girl from Prestwick, who I'm, I'm still in touch with right enough, Margaret McPhee, that her mother knew about this hostel. Right. So the deal was, if I was going, I had to go into this hostel for the first year. But it was the best thing. Yeah, it was the best thing. And then, well, of course, Liz and I piled up there and we got this little, in second year, this little cottage in Morningside. Nice. Which was the last remnants of the old pantiled cottages. And, and you know, right beside the Merlin pub, ah. right in Morningside Road. Oh yeah, okay. Right. It's sort of behind the tenements that are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was two little cottages, one beside the other, uh, with an outside loo. Oh, and we paid, I think, two pounds a week to the wifey who owned it. It was damp as anything, oh. but we loved it. Um, and I think it was rat and mouse infested and all the rest. And I know when my parents came the first time to see it, we had sort of tried to put things in front of all the evidence, but my father found it right away. And next door to us, we had a folk singer called John Dubarry. Ooh. And, um, and his woman, Lucy she was called, I think. Uh -huh. And there were a few interesting people came and went from there, like Archie Fisher and, oh, you know, yes. yeah. Uh, in fact, Archie Fisher paid my fare in the bus once. Kind of <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, quite interesting times. But, unfortunately, the guy who owned the next door cottage um, decided that he needed to get it done up somehow, so he got the council in and they condemned it. And of course that meant ours was condemned as well and the wee wifey couldn't afford oh, that's rough. to have it. Yeah. So we had to move on. Yeah, I guess uh, fair I as well. <laughs> well. Fair enough, but I think, I mean, as far as I know, they're still there, but it's just one wee house and it'll all be fine now. So then we moved up the road to, oh God, what was the name of the, I've forgotten the name of the road. It was, it was still in Morningside uh -huh. and it was a flat that was owned by a Japanese doctor called oh. Dr. Sang. Oh. And we got this place, and it was only after we were in there you realised we weren't arts students. He didn't want art students because he was worried that we'd mess up the place. <laughs> anyway, it was okay. It was fine. It was fine. And, um, but it was too expensive. And then I think we moved to Newington. And eventually we ended up in Scotland Street, oh. down in Newtown, in a sub-basement. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, some of those were quite nice, though. Oh, it was fine. And we were there for a couple of years. We were there for the last year at Art College and all through Murray House. Yeah. Followed. Aye. So Murray House, what what led you to choose to go and train? To be didn't, a didn't really choose that. It was one of these things that when you were applying for a grant and everything, you were more likely to get a grant if you said you were going into teaching because they were desperate to get teachers. And, of course, you just... You know, the four years at art college, you just didn't think about it. No, <laughs> and then, of course, it got to the end. And, and that, uh, <laughs> we'll have your soul now, yeah, please. <laughs> well, and I also knew that it wasn't in me. I didn't have the drive, you know, yeah. to make it. Commercial I, art is no, just a no, difficult and thing. I didn't, I didn't fancy the starving and the garret and all that. So Having done that as a student, that's yeah, enough. Enough of that. <laughs> yeah. No, so Murray, and Murray House oh, was awful. Really? Well, it was like going back to school and rows and desks and uh, stuff. Anyway, <laughs> sort of near the end of the year at Murray House, all the local authorities came to interview prospective teachers. And I can remember going round, you know... I look like man and shirt, yeah, are they? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and um, I came, obviously, to the, the guy who was interviewing for Argyle, and oh no, I didn't because I hadn't. Yeah, I went. They weren't there, I don't think. Right. Um, but I did notice sometime afterwards there was at the office in Murray House there was a little note on the notice board saying, um, "Itinerant teacher of art, Isle of Mull." And I thought oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And I'd never, I didn't know anything about Mull except that I shared a flat with Mary Rose, who was actually Nelly. Stuart's niece. Right. So she was able to tell me a bit about it. And of course I didn't have a driving licence. Right. But I knew you could drive a motorbike on a provisional licence almost yeah. indefinitely. So I thought, well, that's, I'll, I'll have a shot at that. 
and I did. I know I got the job because I was the only applicant. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, but I knew I had to pass the exams. Yes. And so how I did, I've no idea, because a lot of these exams were just you know tick boxes. So oh, I must have just it must have just been luck. That's luck. depressing. When luck. Te teaching's not a job; it's a vocation. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh man. But, no, it was. Um, it was the right move. Aye, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So, what did your folks say to you when, oh, <laughs> when they didn't want you to go to Edinburgh? No, no, my mother was just... <laughs> but my father understood. Fantastic. Because he was... Of the he was land. An, an, outs, an outside person, yeah. And he loved it here, yeah. Aye. So. Did, did your folks manage to see all that you've accomplished? Uh, well, yes and no, I suppose. I mean, they came... Obviously, they, they came up in the wee, the wee car, the wee motor car, oh, when, yeah. when I had managed to get the flat in Salon, which had been the teacher's flat. Yes. Because Helen Ross mm -hmm. uh, married Anda Campbell oh, and moved yes. to Benesson. Yes, so that was fine. So I, I, and I thought I'd just come to Shangri-La again. It was just great. I had that wee flat and money, a salary. Yeah. And... I wasn't very good on the bike right enough. I fell off a lot. And I think I'd only been here about a week and I just about wrote it off. But anyway, so I think I caused quite a lot of amusement round about the place. But I went down to Iona and Craig was still open then. Wow. Gruelin had just closed. There was Dervig and Mornish and Alva Ferry. Right. And the primary department in in Tob and the secondary department, which I didn't enjoy so much, I must admit. Right. It was um, talking to Moira Westland, saying she remembers when, when you came that she thought your name was Miss Sparkly. Yeah, I know, she told me that. I wish I'd known that at the time. <laughs> but then, of course, it was sort of hot pants and, and miniskirts time, and I yeah. suppose... Uh, and I always like colour, so I imagine. Yes, yeah, yeah. made a difference. Pro yeah. Probably a fair bit of disapproval, I'm sure. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. <laughs> and so that you moved here, what year was that? 1970. 1970, right. I must have been, I think. Yeah. And what was it? What was it about Mull that got the first thing that got you? said when you got off the bus in Edinburgh, like, ho, ho, here we are. What was it about Mull that got you? Well, I knew um, I'd taken this job in an island and then I had a sudden panic that maybe there wouldn't be any trees. Ah. So I came up on the train and got the ferry over to have a look, but of course it was all fine. Yeah. And I thought, aye, this will do. Yeah. Brilliant. So, who were the first people that you, you met here that um, you kind of got to know and made you feel at I home? suppose Ian's mother, Mary Morrison, yeah. How did you meet Mary? Well, just at school, yeah. I, on, on the first day of teaching, I came on my wee motorbike to Dervig, and for some reason it wasn't open that day, and so I had to come on to Mornish. Hmm. And I got there at 10 o'clock and there was nobody there. Oh. So, I knocked at the door you know, the schoolhouse door, and the door opened, and I just don't know how many cats shot out. <laughs> and it was Sam Crawford's wife. She was called Jimmy, Jimmy Crawford. Ah. And she told me, um, oh, I was a bit early. Uh, Mrs Morrison didn't usually arrive till about 10. And of course, it depended on when Scrap Balfour Paul picked her up. Of course. Because that was how she got to school. So that was one of my first wow. things. Wow. Yeah. What no, folk were, folk were all nice. Uh, Ethel McLaughlin, you know, and Salon, who was the new primary teacher. And of course, she didn't need the teacher's flat because she lived okay. with, with her folks in um, Bentala Crescent. Yeah. But no, people were, were warm and kind and all good. Yeah. And have continued to be so. I have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so you met Mary. How then did you meet Mary's son? Well, he was away at sea. Right. And I didn't know he existed. <laughs> and Mary, the granny, as we, well, she lived here in this house. Mm -hmm. And she, I think she took pity on me. She thought I was a poor soul. Oh. And so I invited me to come and visit her on Sundays because she said she didn't see many people on Sundays. And she used to cook me bacon and eggs because nice. she thought I needed fed. And um, no, I didn't know about Ian at all. Not at that time anyway. No, I met him at a dance at Craig Newer. Right. And I'd been here for a year. 
because he was he did a, a financial year out yeah. out of the country, yeah. and uh, there you go. Gosh, yeah. and so did, was uh, Ailey still at home at that no, point? No, Ailey was. Matter of fact, I went or locked on was the other school I went to, and she was teaching there. Ah, gosh. Uh, she was married there and, and teaching there, and yeah, she had Charles, yeah. and I think she was pregnant with Ian James at that time. Yeah. So yeah, no, no, she was. They were. It was all good. Brilliant. Yeah. So. Am I right in remembering you got married fairly quickly as well? Yeah, it was one of these crazy things. Yeah. I met him on the 1st of May, 1971. And I remember that because I had written off my wee bike again. And I'd I'd gone in on the bus to McGilp's to collect the bike and it wasn't ready. There was something that... So I I know I went home a bit depressed because I I couldn't get out to a lot of the the schools, you know, when I didn't have the bike. And I decided that I wasn't going to go to the Craig Muir dance that night because I was too depressed. And then later on I thought, oh hey ho, might as well (laughs) just go. And it was Jimmy McRae had a wee van and we all piled into the back of his van and we drove down. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. And there there was Ian. Yeah. yeah, What was was your first uh, opinion of Ian on seeing him? Well, he was kind of skinny then, I think. (laughs) And I just thought he was a Glasgow... Because I mean, he's got—he hasn't got a mal accent, really. He's got an no. o- or he had an, an Oban accent anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. We just kind of hit it off. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were married later on. Uh, married on the fifth of November, nineteen seventy-one. Oh goodness me! So it was a bit. Yeah, my mother was a bit taken aback with that as well. <laughs> so really? yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. It was good. It was good. And Colin came along as yes, well. Yes, oh, yes. fantastic. Rather soon after as well. Aye. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so where did you, you obviously you weren't going to be living in the uh, the school flat in Salon then? No, where, I moved over here and decided, you know, to give up teaching. So aye. that was that. So I wasn't teaching for very long, okay. which is sad in a way, but yeah, the baby on the way and yeah. Family comes first, yeah, always. Yeah. So, and... Uh, the granny she let this house she was one of the first people to do self-catering letting I think right. and she moved out to her hattie as you might remember yes I remember it well and yeah. she decided that um, she couldn't put up with a baby in the hattie as well so we had a caravan at the end of the at the end of the hattie there great gosh that's quite a way to start I, yeah. I suppose we must have just plutered about the, the first years it was 1973 before we started the boat business but Ian my you know he was away in the winter and, and, and back in the summer and worked okay so what was what was Ian doing at sea what was his oh well he, he was a deck officer you know he was I think studying for his mate's ticket by the time we got together so we spent some time in Glasgow you know when he was at the at the college there uh, but not long because we just came came home <laughs> when we could yeah so he was at sea and then he, he had some time ashore when he worked for James Knight. All right, okay. Um, in fact, he was involved in demolishing the old poor house, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah. And then that was the year that Coochie came ah, along. Fantastic. And he went back to sea for a bit and then decided he wanted to be with the family. And Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. What... Um, was the company always Tourist Manor right from the start? No, we, 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 caught, we were, I think we were Croig Cruises because we started out from Croig right. with a silly wee boat that, well, I think it was licensed for up to 12, but even that was too many mostly. Oh, okay. <laughs> silly wee boat. She was called the Deirdre. And where did she go? Do, out, out to Lunga and Trishna Shiles? Yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, charters and, as well? Well, it was a, I suppose there would have been needed fishing trips at night on the kayak bank and caught lots of stuff and... Yeah, those were long days, <laughs> long nights. Sure. Yeah. Right. And how did the granny enjoy that as well? Uh, okay, she used to help take bookings because there was a phone in the hattie. Right. And of course we didn't have a phone in the caravan, but we had a baby alarm. <laughs> so when I was taking the bookings, the baby alarm would be for the phone. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes she would just take the bookings and... So the phone has very much been part of your life. Oh, absolutely! For, God, yeah. the tyranny of the phone. Absolutely, it still it still is. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. There's online bookings now, but still, 
yeah. somebody has to be here to... I think the human contact is a very important thing yeah. as well, though. There's no yeah. two ways about it. Yeah. So, um, you were out of Craig for a number of years. Did you um, sail from elsewhere as well at all? Well, there was a spell we went out of Calgary. That's... You need to ask, yeah, I've forgotten yeah. it. Yeah. And we, I think we did a couple of summers there, but it wasn't ideal. Was it difficult to um, It was, well, to even, just, even to get down to the pier, you know, cars couldn't drive down there, no. so people had to walk. We only went round to Alva Ferry when the Andersons retired. You know, old Colonel Anderson and Mrs Anderson, Mint, Minty's, yes. Minty's folk. Right, okay. Because he used to run a boat out of Alva Ferry. Uh, he didn't actually land, but he used to go to Staffa and around. Right. And I think by then, the, the de Wattville had given up as well, you know, because they had ribs going out there. But I think he had decided right. against it as well. It okay. Yeah. Um, so you moved over there, were you still with the Deidre or the Deidre? No, 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 the Deidre had gone and we had a lochen. Oh yeah. And that was when, because Ian, he fished prawns in the winter and fished tourists in the summer. <laughs> and then we had the puffin. Oh yeah. I've heard tale of the puffin. And the vital spark. Right. And uh, then the hoy lass. Yes. And the island lass. So the puffin, she broke her mooring and she was smashed up. Um, and that's, I think, when we got the island last to replace her. Where was that? Oh, she, she was just on a mooring at Dulva Ferry. And, she, right. and it was, oh, it was a mod, I can remember it was one of the mods, I think. And I remember having to phone Ian and he had to come home from the mod. Oh, yeah. But uh, that must that was, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. It was our livelihood in smithereens, really, at that time. Yeah. That must have been terrifying. And, uh, but, hey-ho, here we are. Yeah. Was there always just one skipper or were there more skippers? Oh, no, 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 no. There was Bruce Payne, mm -hmm. who... What was Bruce's story? Well, he was from Norfolk. Right. And he had been a boat builder, ah. but he got... He liked boat building wooden boats and when they all went into GRP he didn't like them what he called the soap dishes mm -hmm. and he came up to Mull with Richard Fairbairns when he bought Queenish mm -hmm. and um, I think he drove lorries and things to bring stuff up and decided to stay and he had a caravan over in the square at Queenish he skippered the vital spark and then the hoy lass when Ian had the island lass I think and oh, Bruce was with us for quite a number of years and he was a great, great guy. And then uh, when Bruce retired, was there a dilemma in the organisation of what to do next, who to employ? Well, no, because by that time Colin had been crewing long enough to yeah. shove him into the empty <laughs> space. Because uh, Colin yeah. had got a degree in history. Yeah, in Scottish history and literature, I think. Yeah. I think he just wanted to come home. And he, of course he did all his travelling abroad. He was in... Uh, New Zealand for a year and he spent a while in Thailand and mm -hmm. and he did his, you know, backpacking through um, Europe so he's, he'd been around but seemed to want to come back. So One of the most important things I think you, I, I'm, I know that you've done uh, is you've helped to kind of allow the community to here to come back to life and thrive from, from what it had been. Can you say a little bit about how, how you achieved that? Well, only that we knew that youngsters couldn't afford house sites and they certainly couldn't afford houses when they came out in the market. So it seemed to make sense to, to make sites available on the croft here. Of course, that's, it was Ian really, I mean, he's the crofter, his ground and his background. But of course, I was quite happy <laughs> that that should happen. And yes, of course, there's some youngsters and now there's children in the school. And, uh, and I think, what, he just felt that the bottom had dropped out of community altogether, you know, and to get, you know, people on the ground again was an important thing. Yeah. I mean, he grew up here, he was the only child and, yeah. you know, for miles around, so, yeah. yeah. No, the, the sense of community here now is just 
very very strong and as you're saying about Saturday night we've getting drawn because there's the Halloween party but there's also the, the schnitzel night up the road and it's like oh man <laughs> tricky what to do but and there was also the f- 10 years fish farming in between Aye, as well. yes. what, what happened with how did you do fish farming what was the story there well there were very very good grants available to and the government was encouraging people to go into this business and so and that was Bruce and Ian mostly did the hard graft and got the tanks up and got all the the plumbing going and I got sent off to learn about it and uh, it worked mostly mm-hmm. I think the second year in it was a poor year and that was what allowed us to do the house up because we hadn't earned enough mm. uh, so we got a good grant Perfect. to sort out the house but um, no it was interesting but in the end the Norwegians were selling their salmon mm. in loads to Europe mm. and uh, the government at the time here didn't back us up and it just and then we, we got there was one year I think we lost a few because it was a plumbing disaster mm-hmm. and I we had to buy in fry from yeah. somewhere else, and the fry, as it turned out, brought in disease oh, no. and frunculosis. And so we lost a lot of the fish that year. Oh, and we were advised to follow the site for a year. Okay. And then we could see that, you know, the way things were going, there wasn't really any point starting up again. So, okay. so we just didn't do that anymore. And it was at that point that you made the, the old mill itself into a self-catering company? Well, I mean, sometime after that, yeah, yeah. We did that, I think it was 2002. I remember Georgia uh, talking about it, saying that uh, when, when you were away to, to look after um, the pipes with hot water bottles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. Of course, that all seems, it seems like a dream now, but... <laughs> Yeah. In case they froze, you can't. Oh, I know, them. and somebody had to be here all the time because if the water levels went down and the alarms went off, you had to go and babysitting, basically. check it out. Yeah, yeah. But they were an an incredible creature, you know. I learned, yeah. you know, the whole life cycle of the salmon. I hadn't realised how just what an amazing creature it was. So Rona would have been uh, your youngest. Would have been <laughs> a teenager at that time. Well, she was born in eighty two. Yeah. I can I can remember Colin coming back from from uni uh, and I think Ian had flu oh and everything was frozen and I'd been up all night oh um, and Colin saying that you know when he, when he arrived that I was talking such gibberish he didn't know what to say to me oh god yeah nice. but we started the hatchery in 89, I think. Right, okay, so it was quite a long time. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, no, so I mean, uh, yeah, obviously Rona was here for, mm. for a bit of it, yeah. And uh, sort of finally closed it down, mm-hmm. certainly by, by 99, yeah. You've got the restaurant after that as well. Yes. So, how as everybody restaurant? knows, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all turned out for the best. It's turned out fine, yes. Yeah, oh, that's great. So the family have all had uh, adventurous times as well. I suppose so. They've all, you know, they've all uh, left Mull and come back and left and come back and they've, they've, they've made the most of being citizens of the world. Yeah. How does that, because I, with Col being eight years old, I'm really hopeful that that'll be the case for Col, that yeah. he'll be able to, to yeah, traipse, yeah, like the way yeah. I did, the way yeah, that so yeah. many of, of us did. Um, how did that feel to, to be of that generation where you got, well, that's great, you can off, off you go? With oh, it. yeah, yeah. I don't think there was ever any question. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Mm. Yeah. Although I do remember, you know, that by the time they were growing up, they were fairly streetwise, you know. Because yeah. I can remember, you know, people who came to stay here, um, I'd expected them, you know, to have Heather grown out their ears and, and you, yes. know, some, you know, people like, you know, Christine Kidd and, you know, folk come and say, oh, you know, they're amazingly streetwise for kids who've grown up yes. in the back of beyond. Yeah. So is there anything, um, any other, any characters from when you first arrived? Obviously there's thousands that are gone, like the people you mentioned at the schoolhouse up at Mornish, I've never heard of that with their dozen oh, right. cats. Yeah. Who were they? What was well, their that was um, Sam Crawford. Oh, you must have heard about Sam Crawford. I don't remember the name. No, he's... He's a bit of a legend around here, I right. think. He he built... Um, oh, was he the guy with the, the tin boat? Out in the... Yes. Ah, yeah, yes, yeah, you know the course. story he sailed. Yes. Uh, yeah. um, 
Aye, because you were threatened. Now that's that's a character that I'd like. I deeply regret not having gotten to know Mrs. James. Yes. I would have loved to have met Pat James. Yeah. What was how when, how did you first meet her? Well, it was at her at Jimmy's funeral. Her her husband's funeral. I mean, they'd been up there, and I didn't know much about them. But Jim died, and they needed people to help ferry people to Calgary for the funeral, and somebody must have told her. You know, we had quite a big car at the time, and so I said, yeah, and that was fine. Uh, she knew I wove tapestries and she was interested uh -huh. in learning. She asked if I would show her how, so I took her up a frame and some bobbins and gave her the basics, and she just did amazing things. She just was... Oh, I miss her still. Yeah, it's, it's Georgia and her shared a birthday, so they, they, oh, yeah. she always caught up with her around that yeah. time, if I remember. And uh, yeah, I would love to have known more about her life because she started off, she was English by birth, wasn't she? Yes, but her father was a Scot. Yeah. And her mother died in childbirth when I think it was a, a brother who also died. And her father married her aunt. So her aunt Oof. became her stepmother. That's a bit Hamlet. Yeah, her, her, her mother's sister. Right, okay. Um, and they never got on. No, I can understand. Yeah, mm -hmm. difficult. And so they sent her off oh, to a boarding school in Germany, I think, which was run by nuns. Mm -hmm. I think she had quite a good time there. I think they were good to her and she was allowed to go and wander in the forests and all the rest. I think her stepmother's family married into people who had a ch chateau in France and she was sent off there and I think she was there I think it was Vichy France as well she was yeah. there during the occupation and she didn't know yet how she was left alone because they knew that she was a Brit but yeah. she was left alone and there's, she was in Malaysia as well, wasn't she? Yeah, well, that's where she started. She was born in Malaysia. Ah, right. And okay. her father had, you know, a good kind of colonial job there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then after the war, I think they all went back. And she went back to Malaysia as well. But, uh, of course, it wasn't so good then. But that's where she met her husband, Was Jim. Was there not a fantastic tale about her driving the children yes. along? In the, what was that tale again? Well, I think there was just... Um, the sound of gunshots in the distance and she hauled the kids out of the car and they were down in, in the ditch and, mis you know, amazingly this gun appeared. <laughs> and, uh, Mommy, yeah, why you yeah, yeah, that's right. And they, you know, the boys assumed it looked like this was something that she, she had done. But yeah, she, yeah. Being a French speaker, I would have just loved to... Yeah. Oh, she was, she, was, um, she was better in French and German than English and she, and really? she read, you know, the publications she read were mostly in, in French and German. Yeah, no, she was a great wee lady. Mm. Was the lady that lived in Pancho's old house still here when you got here? No, but yeah. her son was, Dolechen. Ah, yes. Um, and he was, yeah, he used to come and pass through. He was actually, at that time, he was working with the people who were building the new Craig Newer Road okay. uh, to Benesson. Oh, gosh, right. I didn't uh, ever meet Mary Flora, but I know Ian was looked after. She looked after Ian when when the granny went back te teaching. So, which is one of the yeah, you can ask him about that too. Mm -hmm. Memories. Thank you so much for your time, Pat. As ever, it was a great pleasure to spend time with you. If you're interested in any of the topics covered in this episode, you can find a host of links on the website on whatwedointhewinter.com. Now, in the podcast we mentioned a story about the tin boat. This is the boat that Sam Crawford and family, who Pat talk about, lived on when they first came to Mull from Skye. She wasn't tin, and if I remember rightly, her hull's made of aluminium, so please excuse me, I'm a fud. Sam was a builder and an artist who worked on a lot of the houses in the Croig area. The name of the boat is the Sea Adder, and what remains of her hull can be seen in the Ukak at Croig, the muddy bay as you head inland from the sea, where muddy mayhem used to take place, I believe. And therein lies another story to be told another day. 
As I mentioned earlier, if you want to take part in the podcast survey to help me understand how you use and relate to what we do in the winter, I'd be very grateful. You can find a link to the survey in the text that accompanies this episode on the website and social media. Thank you to those of you who've filled in the survey. It's really useful for me to understand what I'm doing and how you relate to it. It's true that I am prioritising the older people in the communities of the islands at present because I'm conscious of the ever-advancing presence of time. But I am talking to lots more young folk, though, don't worry. In fact, tonight I'm going to have a Skype chat with one younger person whose path has already been fascinating and whose life is full of wonderful adventures. More on that in the weeks to come. I'm also conscious that when I make Skype and FaceTime calls, I'm much more present as a host. Generally speaking, I try to cut myself out of the edit as much as possible so as not to interrupt the speaker. With the online chats, this is slightly different as it's a bit more like a phone call. The social convention with phone calls, of course, is to register that you're still there by saying things like ha at three, aha, mm, aye, mm-hmm, making all sorts of positive noises. When recording podcasts, I'm conscious that this can be a bit odd, so um, if so, I'm sorry. But I'll see what I can do to moderate that. And a quick word to the family that compete amongst themselves to be the first to listen to the podcast. Congratulations to whichever of you hears this first. I'll buy you a sausage roll from Dervig Artisan Bakery who has a prize when next I see you. When I was writing this text earlier on, I was listening to Florence the Machine's song, The Queen of Peace. It's a perfect song for this kind of sunny wintry's day. If you've never heard it before, I recommend it most strongly. The video for it was filmed in Easdale and is exceptionally beautiful. I recommend checking it out if you're into that sort of thing. I'll put a link on the website. As these podcasts take quite a lot of time to make, I'm looking to fundraise through donations, so if you feel like it and you're able to, please feel free to donate the cost of a cup of coffee or even the price of a bundle of Kindlers from the petrol station, wherever you may be through the website. You'll see a donate tab there, where you can donate if you so wished. I've also got a Patreon page for donations, which you can find under my name, Alistair Satchel, if you wanted to contribute to that, you're very welcome. But don't worry if you can't donate or you don't want to. I'd much rather you listened than you didn't. Also, To help me grow the podcast, if you want to leave a rating or a review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast, I'd be most grateful. And thank you to those of you that already have. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And also, thank you to those of you who reach out to say hello. It's really great to hear from you. Thanks. As ever, the webpage, whatwedointhewinter.com, has all the links and info you'll need from this episode, and we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and supposedly Instagram. Thank you for listening. I look forward to speaking to you again soon. More in time. Shenu. Arse.